I'm Jeff Wright, and welcome to the Blame to Fame podcast. As an entrepreneur, I have not only built an extremely successful business from scratch, but also employed thousands of men and women and helped them on their path to financial freedom. One of the most common themes for me and everyone else who has succeeded is that we never blame anyone and are aware that our success or failures fall solely on our shoulders. It was not until I hit rock bottom that I realized that only I alone could change my future. And on my podcast, you're going to hear the stories of successful folks who have gone from blame to fame in their own lives. I look forward to sharing my journey and great guests that will educate you about their path to success. Please join me each week on the Blame to Fame podcast. All right, straight from Phoenix, Arizona, we have Brian Bogert today. Brian, how you doing, brother? I'm fantastic, man. All right, man. And like I was telling you, I love the background you got there. It, it looks like you're in a barn almost. That looks nice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that life is first about showing up and then second, how you show up. And, you know, probably arguably the most important where you show up. But at least in this case, when we were all relegated to our, our living rooms and everything started to shift and, uh, you know, given all of what I do and how I show up in the world, an investment in a studio so people could see me and receive me more clearly and we could actually have as close to the level of human connection, not in person as possible. That's that's what it's all about, brother. Well, you know, actually, I have a saying and I did a conference up in North Carolina this weekend and I told them uh, how you show up is the way things end up or it helps determine the ways end up. Like a lot of times people will talk about, uh, you know, we just had Christmas holidays not long ago and they'll be complaining that they got to go travel to see family or they have these obligations and whatnot. And I'm like, you know, if you're going to show up with a shitty attitude like that, if you're going to show up knowing you're going to have bad a bad time, that's the way it's going to end up. You're not going to have a great time if you show up that way. So that that I love that you said that because that's a big saying that I have. The yeah. way that you show up determines the way things end up. It's the truth. And I mean, obviously, given even what we do, it takes it even a layer deeper when you give analogies like showing up for family holidays or different things, right? It's It's typically expectations. It's typically emotional triggers. It's typically behavioral patterns, right? And environmental conditioning that puts us in a place where we start carrying armor to protect ourselves from whatever we're anticipating or expecting, which only further disconnects us from the overall experience. And so the reality of it is it's all tied to the trash from people's past. And, you know, it's, it's true because the only thing real is the present. And if you can't show up in the present, if you can't be, you're going to be limited. And I know that the more I've learned to just be, the more I am. Yeah, absolutely. So Brian, tell us about what you do. Yeah, well, let me give a little context first, because I think it's important for people to understand the backdrop. Um, and I'm going to give you an expedited version, but when I was seven, so August 10th, 1992, 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona, my mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one inch paintbrush. And as we were headed back to the car, anyone who's known me for more than a couple of minutes knows that I talk fast, I walk fast, I've always had a lot of energy for life. So they weren't surprised that I was the first one to the car. Now, this was back in the days before there was key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom to literally reach in to her purse, grab the physical keys, stick it in the door and turn it so we go on with our way. And as I was standing there waiting for her to catch up and do all that, a truck parked in front of the store and the driver and middle passenger got out. 
passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So he did what any one of us would have done, Jeff. He scooted over, puts his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Oh, combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard. And before you know it, he's catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at us. Now we were parked in an end spot. So he goes up over the median, goes up and over the tree in the median, hits our car, knocks me over, runs over me diagonally, tearing my spleen and leaving a tire track scar in my stomach and continuing on to sever my left arm completely from my body. Oh my God. Wow. And the next thing my mom heard was my brother saying, mom, Brian's arm is over there. 10 feet away across the parking lot. And fortunately for me, my guardian angel was also there that day. I always have said for years that I'm forever indebted to this woman for her choice to show up in that moment and go into action to address the life and limb scenario that she saw in front of her. It brought even more power to the story when I reconnected with her last year on the 30th anniversary of the accident. And I learned that she had a friend with her that day who was also a nurse who did not go into action that day. Now, I want to be really clear. I have no hurt feelings for this nurse. She has every right to do that. I have nothing there. What I want to enforce, though, is the power of this woman's choice to show up in that moment is the only reason I'm here with you today, Jeff. It's the wow. only reason I have an arm today. Because what she came story. over and stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life and instructed innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, fill it with ice, and get my attached limb on ice within minutes. So if it wasn't for this woman, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here with today with a cleaned up stump. Oh my God, what year was this? 1992. In and so obviously, you know, medical technology has advanced significantly since that time. But I, you know, I, what I have to say is, and the reason I went there is because I know I have a really, really unique story. But what I want everybody to hear is that you all also have a unique story. What's important is that we learn to pause and become aware of the lessons that we can extract from our stories. And then how do we become intentional with how do we apply them into our lives moving forward? And we all have the ability to do that. And you all can shorten your own curve to learning by tapping into the collective wisdom of other people's stories. And yeah. so it's a lot of these things that, you know, my patterns in life and ways that I moved, ways that I armored and disconnected, ways that I grew and ways that I lived into who I thought the world wanted me to be that so many things have contributed towards a couple of core lessons that we really genuinely believe, but it always comes back to helping people identify and take out the trash from their past. Cause it's the singular thing keeping you stuck. Wow. You know, most people think that they're stuck because of the wrong strategy and tactics, but brother, like, and everybody who's watching this, like, no, 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 no. You are stuck solely because of the trash from your past and the patterns and emotional triggers and connections that are created from it. And it's any moment that you exist feeling like trash or garbage tells you that you've got trash inside that you haven't unpacked and you haven't processed. And without fail, it is the singular thing that's keeping you stuck because it's the fatal flaw that continues to show up repeatedly in your life. Until you remove it, you will not move through it. It does hold you back. You know, I wrote a book called Blame the Fame. And yep. and and it's about it's about pushing past being a victim. Yeah. It's about it's about pushing back because you could easily be victimized by by or, or live the victim mentality easily. And, you know, 99% of society probably wouldn't yeah. blame you for that, you know, but, but the, 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 the thing is though, is what I love about what you're saying is I'm sure that with the disability that you have having this, this, this bad thing happen to you, I'm quite sure you had a lot of people, uh, as you were rehabilitating, tell you 
Brian, you're never going to be able to do this or Brian, you're never going to be doing that. Yeah. And, and I'm quite sure that there are things you were doing that people told you that you couldn't do. You push yeah. past that because you believed in yourself and not believing in the opinions of other people. Yeah. But I have to tell you that all of those things did create armor because what the world told me to do was to push through. And so every time I pushed through, I also pushed down that trash. Yeah. which only further compacted it and it only piled further and further and higher and higher. So to your point, exactly. I remember feeling like a victim laying in the hospital bed at even age seven. I woke up not believing that it was real. I believed I was still in a dream and it took me a minute to center in that because I was in between worlds, literally. And as I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself, we have families coming up to us saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. We're so sorry for what happened. It's so traumatic. It's unbelievable. And then we come to find out that their kids laying in the hospital bed next to me with a terminal illness and they don't know if they're going to live another 30 days. Yeah. My life was secure at that point. I did not know if my arm would successfully be reattached. I did not know if I would have successful normalized use of it later in life. But what I knew is that I had my life and that taught me one of my first core lessons, which is I learned not to get stuck by the things that have happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with them. And yeah. That said, I moved a lot, but I also armored and disconnected in ways that I didn't realize because what happened when I first came out of the hospital, I've got a sling and I have a teddy bear in between my arm because my arm has to heal at 90 degrees, right? And here's okay. what would happen. Everybody would come and be like, hey, what, what, what happened to you, right? They're expecting me to be like, oh, I was racing my brother on bikes down the road and I crashed or I flew off my swing or I jumped off the jungle gym or whatever, right? But I'd look at them deadpan in the eye and I'd say, I was armored by a truck and my left arm was torn off. And without fail, people would pause and they'd turn to my parents for validation, which told me they didn't believe my own truth, my own story. Really? And the second thing that they would do is they started to view me through their lens of what they'd be capable of in my situation and immediately doing what you were suggesting, limiting me based on what people thought I would do. And so honestly, that first 13 years afterwards, Bro, I shut off physical pain because it exceeded my ability to cope. But what I didn't realize for 25 years is I shut off emotional pain, spiritual pain, and mental pain because they were all in the same bucket, right? So I wasn't wow. even living in my own truth. But for 13 years following that, my narrative was this. Brian's strong. Brian's capable. I can do anything. And the, the unspoken one that most people heard was, and if he needs help, he'll ask for it, right? So it served me well to break lots and lots and lots of people's expectations to live into who I thought I could be. But then I wake up and I'm 20 and I went down in a snowboarding accident and I rebroke my arm in the spot that it came off in. Ooh. And nobody was there. Nobody was there even on site because I was snowboarding in a place that I didn't have friends and family with me. I was aerovac I wouldn't let him give me medications because I was the only one who knew my story. But here's what happened over the next 10 months. I went through seven surgeons who were afraid to touch me because even though it was a compound fracture, they were afraid of the medical liability and they would not do it. I went through six different procedures that they told me was going to fix and repair my bone. And ultimately, the only thing that made it happen was the original surgeon paired with an orthopedic. So he did the soft tissue work and the orthopedic actually repaired the bone so that I could then start to move. But what also happened in that 10 months is the deepest, darkest level of depression that I've ever been in. Isolation, loneliness, disconnection, because my whole world and my reality was crumbling right in front of me because I'd built this narrative, right? Yeah. But nobody was there. I had lots and lots and lots of friends, lots of family. No one was there. What did that tell me? 
the world bought into my narrative, which also shows the power of our narrative. Mm-hmm. My narrative, which at one point was designed to protect me, how, now had me further disconnected because as I'm in my most vulnerable place, that one area that I said wasn't spoken, I didn't have the courage to ask for help. My parents didn't even know how much I was suffering. And the reality of it is, is what I used to think was my transformation, transformation story was getting my arm ripped off. It created a hell of a lot of trash that wasn't my fault. So what it was started the, to become my responsibility because I was burying it. It was this story that allowed me to look inward, brother. What was the big thought that was going through your head every day? The the one thing you're the 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 you know the uh, what I call the little bitch in your head was, was just kept telling you over and over and over. What what was that? I was in starving need of human connection, and I didn't have a healthy model for what it looked like. Wow. So I decided that vulnerability and authenticity are the glue that binds human connection. And that's what I started to do was try to shift myself to create more vulnerability and authenticity, not only in myself, but in the interactions and connections I was having with other people. And it was this next period of time that we built and scaled a $15 million risk management employee benefits consulting business that ultimately allowed me to feel like I was doing everything the world told me I wanted, because here's what happened. I'm isolated, I'm lonely, and I'm disconnected, and I didn't have a healthy model for what that looked like. So what did I do? I followed what the world told me. You should have a nice car, a nice house, uh, have a lot of success, make a lot of money, have a hot wife, right? Like all these things that like externally seemed like they made sense. But what, what I now realize years later is that I believed, I think unconsciously at the time, that if I built a life of significance, that maybe people would just want to be around me. Yeah. I was chasing what when what I really needed still was who. And I woke up at 27 years old, having the house, the car, the money, a developing and growing business that was printing money for us in ways that I never even envisioned in my life. And I don't say that to brag. I say it to impress upon the point. It's what the world told me I should want. And I'm not in any way vilifying money. I want to be really clear on this. It has nothing to do with the money. It had everything to do with the lack of depth and connection that existed in my life. Because what it cost me was who I was. And I've spent the last decade rebuilding, rediscovering and removing layers of trash and armor that have kept me stuck for years. Well, it, it seems like you're in a really good spot now. Bro, best rhythm of my life yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. It's, it seems like you're in a great spot now. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's funny, too, because, you know, the world tells you that you need all this stuff. Like, you know, all this crap on social media. You see, you know, these people, you know, you know on private jets, they're probably renting on Lambos that they're probably renting. And, and it's, it's almost like these young girls who, uh, who think they have to look like these supermodels. They have to do this because they yeah. think whatever, whatever it is that this phone is telling them that, that they have to be, they, they're looking at that as what their pattern of a perfect life is. And, and, and then when they get that and, you know, then what, yeah. you, know, you know, then what you have to work on what's inside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I I woke up one day making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures, in some cases with the people around me as well. And and, and I wasn't the only one that was disconnected and miserable. And, and so that just, it started to open me up. I mean, it was that same period of time that I hired my first coach and uh, was realizing I wasn't congruent in the way that I was living as a man, as a husband, as a father. And, uh, you know, I started doing a lot of deep work and it was a few years later that I realized that my equation that I thought I'd created was still missing you know, I told you it was vulnerability and authenticity of the glue that binds human connection, but human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. And emotion yeah. didn't come into my life still for about three or five more years after that. 
Um, because again, when I shut it off, it was so deep. I was unconsciously suppressing at such an active rate that I had to literally fight my own patterns at such a deep level to be able to even see what was real. Because 99% of the time I was reacting to the trash from my past and burying others in the garbage that I brought into the world when I had no awareness that I was doing so. And it almost cost me everything, right? Uh, I had anger buried so deep. I didn't know what to do with it, brother. And it was something that we had to move through. And so it's, it's all real, but we talk about this stuff because it's the human experience. Yeah. And you know, and people, people think that just because you have these things that, that you're happy or you got, you got your shit together, but let me, let me, let me tell you, nobody has their, their shit together. hundred percent. No one does probably about five years ago. I'm, I'm thinking four or five years ago, I went to one of these crazy Navy SEAL type boot camps for a week. And there were three guys in there that were legit billionaires. There was a, you know, a guy uh, who was CEO of a Wall Street firm and whatnot. Lots of big money guys there. And after spending a day with these guys, this thing lasted for over a week. I'm like, these are some of those fucked up people I've ever met in my life. Everyone started sharing at a level that, I mean, I shared at a level I never have before, probably haven't since. None of, none of these guys have, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I just thought I was screwed up, man. There's nothing wrong with me compared to some of these people. Some of these people have, have some really deep problems, but on that outside surface surface, you know, everything seemed like it was okay, Yeah, but it's not. It's not. And it's typically hidden behind layers and layers and layers of armor to protect whatever they don't want to actually be seen, which often is the truth. And when I say they, it's, it could be billionaires. It could be your next door neighbor. The reality of it is, is we've been so conditioned to believe that we can't show who we are to the yeah. world without judgment, criticism, ridicule, isolation, disconnection, shame, blame, fear, scarcity. All of it is wrapped up into the way that we have been conditioned as a society to operate in some cases. And that's what I'm trying to fight against is to give people the permission to recognize that they can stand not just confident, but convicted in who they are, knowing that the world's not going to just accept them, but will embrace them for who they are. But what it requires is that we teach people to recognize that they don't have to be so protected all the time. They don't have to be so guarded because the armor is the singular thing you think is protecting you, but it's also the greatest disconnector in your world. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So are, are you, you doing speaking engagements? I hope you are. Yep. Because we, you've, uh, you've, you've got, man, you've got such a story. Yeah. Uh, I've been speaking on stage since I was seven. Uh, and I've been okay. speaking professionally for over seven years. Wow. Um, and so the reality of it is I've never been shy and I, I'm a big believer in the power of story. Again, I told you, I believe it's all about what we extract from our stories and what truths exist, because we have intellectual and emotional narratives wrapped into every experience we have. And what I really appreciate about Ryan Holiday is one of his favorite quotes, or my favorite quotes of his is, there is no good or bad without us. There's the event that happens and the story we tell ourselves about it. And so, yeah, we, we, we speak, we coach, we've got a bunch of group things, and we work with a lot of organizations on really helping them identify and take out the trash that's holding their culture and their organization back. Wow. A few years ago, we had uh, Travis Mills come and speak at, at, at one of our uh, top gun conferences. You familiar with him? With Travis uh, Mills? I'm not. I, I don't know the name. So Travis Mills was a, uh, uh, he was in special forces in the army and he was in Afghanistan and he fell on a landmine and he lost wow. all four of his limbs. Wow. 
and okay, he, I know the story now. Yeah, yeah, and he has the prosthetics and whatnot, and he lives in Maine. And the reason why he lives in Maine, he was explaining to me, because his arms and legs are gone, the, the there's so much blood in his body, it keeps him hot. And we were, I mean, we were in a uh, we were in a room that was probably 68 degrees air conditioned, and you could touch him, and he was sweating. Yeah, but uh, you know, he 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 flies his own plane. He Beautiful. he he has just overcome so many obstacles and whatnot. And the the optimism and the enthusiasm that he has, actually, you remind me of him quite a lot, quite a lot, because he uh, uh, he he tells the funniest stories ever. He makes fun of, of himself all the time. Uh, you know, he says, "What do you call me if you throw me out of a boat? You call me Bob." oh uh, yeah dude i love that i mean yeah that's thank you for sharing that that's it's it's special when you can see people who've been through a lot who have really learned how to bring healthy perspective into the world yeah exactly because there, there's there's things that happen to all of us that we could that you know we could easily just just be a victim and whatnot but number one the story is only true if you believe it and at the end of the day, the world doesn't care. They really don't. The, 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 the world does not care. It's the truth. And the reality of it is, is when we say that we're on a mission to impact over a billion lives as quickly as possible, it's to reduce the level of suffering that exists on this planet, largely of which I believe exists internal, right? Mm -hmm. The root, the Latin root to the word suffer actually means to carry, right? And so it's the things that we continue to carry from our past that are actually causing us to feel this way. But suffering, I think, fits in four categories. It's the things that are left unsaid, the things that we lack permission to feel or say, the mm -hmm. things that we lack the words to articulate or understand, or the things that are left undone. The power of story becomes very evident when we realize that my purpose in life is to allow my truth to give others permission to live theirs. Every time I tell my story, every time Travis tells his story, every time you tell your story, Anytime anyone connects on a true, vulnerable, authentic thing that brings into the world their experience, what they're doing is they are acting and doing based on their own experience, but they're also giving people the permission to feel and say certain things and the words to articulate and understand things in a way that maybe they haven't otherwise. And so I'm a big believer in the power of people vocalizing their truths because that's how people move. Yeah. And a lot of people are waiting for someone. It's, it's like my wife and I, we were, uh, we had taken a cruise not long ago to Barbados and they were, uh, they were playing music on the deck of the ship and nobody was dancing. And she and I decided to get up and dance. And once we made that move, other people did, but yeah. nobody else was going to be the first one to do it. And lots of times, you know, I have a reputation for better or worse. You know, I, I, you know, I speak my mind about about things good or bad and a lot of times when when i give my true opinion about something or or say how i really feel about things and whatnot it gives people permission or they feel like it gives them permission to start doing the same yeah but but sometimes you know you have to be the one to make them the first move to do that you and, and, do, and I've right? never understood why people feel that need to have the permission. You know, well, actually I do because I'll explain it to you, brother. It's easy. Yeah, please do. Dude, human experience is bucketed into four things. We all want and desire. We all want to feel safe. 
We all want to feel protected and those are not the same thing. We all want to feel seen and understood and we all want to feel connected. When we don't feel seen and understood and connected, right? We don't feel Mm -hmm. safe and we certainly don't feel protected. So what do we do? We put our armor up to protect ourselves. Now, imagine this. I want you to hold a, a, imagine holding a 35 gallon black trash bag in front of you. And let's just assume that that's your armor. How can you properly portray who you are, what you want, what you desire, your core intent, your heart, your mind, your experiences through that opaque force field and expect that anyone on the other side is going to see you, understand you, receive you, and want to connect with you. You see, the armor immediately is coming from a place of where they've been ridiculed, criticized, judged in the past, and it comes from a protectionary place to feel safe, right? But again, the armor prevents you from getting the two things we both want most, which is to be seen and understood and connected. So we teach this concept to become a protector and connector in the spaces, which is going through a process of really understanding all that armor does for us. That's one. But the other thing is, is what if I had you hold two 35 pound or 35 gallon trash bags that are full of trash out in front of you? How long could you hold them there, brother? Not long. Not long. And you're going to feel it on your shoulders pretty quick, right? Yeah. Which just goes to show that the longer you carry the trash from your past, the heavier it gets, the stinkier it gets, and the more it incrementally crushes you. Mm -hmm. Here's the third thing armor does though, but it makes sense. There's two kinds of people in this world, just like there's two types of trash cans. There's ones with lids and ones without them. Okay. Those without Mm -hmm. lids are those that wear everything out on their sleeve. It is what it is, but it's also like energy vampires. Like they're the drama, the, the churning of it, because when they push their trash down, it starts to overflow. And ultimately they're dumping everybody in every environment in the garbage that they're still carrying. Then there's people like me, brother. Mine had a lid, it had a seal on the lid and there was a lock on the lid. And I threw that fucking key <laughs> years ago, right? Nobody was going to know what I was carrying around. But here's what would happen. I'd push down. I'd push down. Every time I was told to push through, I'd push down. I'd push down. Now, all of a sudden, I'm creating more and more and more pressure. And I've created literally a bomb that's going to explode and release trash shrapnel through my entire world, right? When we understand the three things that armor does, and we realize it prevents us from everything that we want, then to become a protector and connector, it means convincing yourself that you are safe so you can drop your own armor and when you can stand there with a soft front and a strong spine knowing who you are then you can wrap a layer of protection around everyone in that environment ensuring that everyone is safe everyone is protected everyone is seen and understood and everyone is connected the problem is that the world hasn't conditioned us to trust leadership in lots of ways and authenticity and authentic leadership is typically what facilitates a protected and connected space Problem is, is most people don't know where they can feel safe anymore. You know, I, I, I FaceTimed him yesterday. I have a five-year-old grandson who Mm. is fearless. He's absolutely fearless. He'll do anything. He'll say anything and whatnot, but it makes me sad. He's going to school right now. He's in kindergarten. And with this fearlessness, with this free spirit that he has, not caring what anybody thinks about anything, he's about to enter an environment or he's already started entering an environment where he's going to be told what to do, told what not to do, what to think. And, and down the road, he's going to be encouraged. Don't raise your hand. Don't speak out. Don't stand out. Be like everyone else. And I think that conditioning starts very, very, very early in life. It absolutely does. And we're born as our brightest, most authentic burning self. And and it starts, yeah, Yeah. it starts with public school. I mean, you know, you know, uh, Right now, he could he could walk through the mall picking his nose, eating boogers, and could care less who saw him or or 
or yeah. I'm not saying he does, he does that, but maybe he does. I don't know. He doesn't care. Yeah. A few but years- keep in mind, it's not just schools. Yeah. It's parents, it's teachers, it's employers, it's coaches, it's other yeah. people in people's lives. Like the reality of it is we're born as our brightest, authentic, burning light. And then everybody, as we come in, starts telling us, you should want this. You shouldn't want that. You should want this. You shouldn't want that. You should definitely chase this. You should want this house, this car, this amount of money, right? And all it does, should is a shame-based word. It starts telling people that whoever they are, whatever they're doing, isn't good enough. Yeah. And it starts funneling us down this little path to fit inside the box that the world is telling us that we need to fit in, which is where we're going to be safe. But by the way, that's also where we're most protected. And so here's the thing. It can be literally a disconnection with a parent because a, a set of twins is born into the family and the oldest child now feels a little more disconnected. That starts to create layers of armor in a subconscious way. Then you mm-hmm. get into school and it's all about the systems and fitting into the box. It's literally so many ingrained pieces that we have to really focus on how we're becoming aware of where these things are happening and the types of language that we can use to influence a greater outcome and, and more growth versus fixed victim mentality that can exist in so many of these structures. You know, I, uh, I own a sales organization. I, I own a big insurance brokerage company. We got about 25,000 agents and, and, uh, I started it back in, in 2000. And, the the, the thing that I do now is number one, I solve a lot of problems or try to, but I train a lot of our upper level guys. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, and I'm really glad you're talking about all this because, you know, what's so important is, is, you know, I sell it, I call it selling with humility is what, is what I call it is selling with humility because, at the end of the day, most people want to be listened to and understood. They, they really do. And, and instead of just having them, no matter how great they are, or how great their product is or whatever, and you could apply this to selling anything, instead of just telling them what this will do, uh, you know, how they're going to look at the end of it and whatnot, it's just to simply delve in a little bit yeah. and ask them, open vulnerable questions yeah human <laughs> as, as to be human yeah but oddly enough not that many people do that not that no. many people do it and if you look even if you look on all these sales influencers on on social media you know they're all saying you you got to do this you got to do that you got to be jacked up you got to take I testosterone every day yeah oh, I, hate I, it. I hate it too and you know when i see guys like this you know approaching me in a sales environment i want to run because yeah, most, man. most of these guys are full of shit, you know, it's you- the truth. <laughs> but here's the thing. Sales is a designed path to an expected or desired outcome, right? Yeah. Like that's what it is. And so how do we humanize it? It's about actually understanding that we don't have to sell. If we seek to add value and create impact and seek for alignment in that individual, typically you don't ever even have to ask for the sale. If, if right? you but ask the, the right questions, is- they'll sell themselves. Yeah, right, right. So people walk in exactly. because they have like, again, what do most sales systems? Well, the goal of the first meeting is to understand enough information to land the second. Meeting. Fuck that. Like, yeah. what, what if, what if they aren't actually a good fit for you? What if what you're selling them actually is not going to do them any positive or good, right? Mm-hmm. Like what is the long-term impact of this? And so, you know, I'm a big believer on like, we have to detach from the outcome and we have to recognize that we, if we operate from a position of high intent for the other person, and we just own our truth. Then here's what we can do. It was one of my favorite sales meetings or one of my favorite sales conversations was this. I walked into a CFO and he goes, so tell me why I should be buying from you. 
And I said, well, I don't really know. And he said, what do you mean you don't know? I'm surprised you're not here to tell me why, why you're the greatest. And I said, well, you're going to expect my bias. So obviously you're going to see me lean into that. But honestly, here, here's what I'm here to do today. And I put a, a blank piece of paper in front of him. And he goes, is this your presentation? I said, no, I don't have enough context to understand whether or not I actually am the best fit for you. My only goal today is to ask questions, to better learn who you are, what you're dealing with as an organization. And if there's a place that I think I can add value, I'll tell you that. But if there's not, then I'm going to shake your hand at the end of this meeting and say, it was a nice conversation. But until I have the information that fills out this sheet, I can't be relevant and specific in you. And anything I say is going to be a pure representation of whatever regurgitation in sales I have, which is what you're expecting me to do. Is it fair? Can we just have a different conversation today? Like, upfront agreement to just say, look, if this isn't an alignment, allow ourselves the space and, and know, because what do we do? We disarm people out of the gate. They lower their armor and then we can have a real conversation, but we have yeah. to exist with an energy that they also trust beyond that. And that's where most people can't let go. I have actually had people say the same thing to me to see what you can do for us. And I would say, honestly, uh, I was really just wanting to see if maybe you were a fit for, for us, us. If, if you were a fit it's, for us, why do you think, why do you think uh, we should work with you? <laughs> but again, you're and, in, and believe you're, it or you're not, that, sounds, so you that sounds like right? a really bold question, but yeah. you have no idea how disruptive it is to, to, to them and go, well, I think we would be a good fit for you because we do this. and that. <laughs> It's true. And, and that's the thing, but that's also showing complete detachment from yeah. expectation from them, which gives a safe, protected space for them to actually explore whether or not it is. And you've mm -hmm. set a healthy boundary to say, look, not everybody is a fit for us, right? Yeah, exactly. But you've been in insurance long enough to know, and I don't know exactly which insurance you are, but whether it's life insurance or whether it's on the group side or whatever it is, right? There is an expected path that all prospects experience. If it's life insurance, it's like, well, I know I'm gonna have to fill out an application. I'm gonna get a physical exam. We're gonna have to talk about income. We're gonna have to look at all these things to verify, right? If it's on the business side, it's well, especially employee benefits, it's census, it's plan designs, it's rates, it's all the, because people are like, oh, if you just get all this stuff, then you can come in and market us. No, no, no. Why don't, why don't we evaluate whether there's a partnership before we talk solutions? Why don't exactly. we see if there's a, a value, like if there's actually like synergies and alignment so that we might want to collaborate now that we know that there's alignment? Like, why are we talking product sales and outcomes before we even know if people are fits? Yeah, exactly. Because lots of times, you know, they, they, they won't be a fit for you, especially because we we're on the life insurance side. We, one big part of our, of our business is uh, I have a group that does uh, business with first responders. They, yeah. they, uh, they do police fire EMS and, and pretty much most every major city in the country. And, and, there's a lot of times when they go and, and and talk to these you know police chiefs or battalion chiefs and whatnot, it's not just seeing if, if they're going to be a uh, if we're going to be a fit for them. It's if they're going to be a fit for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because especially in that business where you're assessing risk and whatnot, yeah, you know any any anything other than that's really color bubbles at a point. I mean, you, I agree. You, you have to know. And, and the so only you, way you're going to know is, is, is just to ask. You said you have 25,000 agents? Yes. How do you facilitate this through your organization? And how do you instill the culture and confidence in the people who are 
interacting directly with clients to represent your organization in a way that I know you believe to your soul? Well, it's really hard to do. And, and one, a lot of people ask me, well, how do you have that many agents and whatnot? Uh, in, in, in agent recruiting, you can either hunt rabbits or you can hunt elephants and we've always hunted elephants. So, so we were, even though we have all these agents, I really don't deal with that many people because we recruit entire organizations, yep. not, not just onesie twosie agents. We have onesie twosies, uh, and we have them confined into, into separate groups and whatnot. So, um, th there's no way you could, you could deal with that many people. Yeah. Well, there's no way I, yeah, I, I was no more, way I guess, you could do it. curious from a culture and infusion through the, the, the organization. But I will tell you, culture is so important in an organization yeah. and the different organizations that do business with us, they all have cultures that are, that are different. And I can tell you the, the cultures that, uh, that are the most, what a lot of people would think are the most weird are the most militant are the most successful ones. Mm. by by far by mm. far i mean uh i mean i there was a new group that we started doing business with last year and i sat in their first meeting and i was hearing them say things that, that i've never heard before and i'm sitting there wondering if i just joined scientology or something <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy but they 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 turn a lot of premium and and they believe in what they're doing and they're they're legit out there helping people that's awesome but but, but that culture that culture is 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 also important yeah yeah for them absolutely. to do yeah but um brian if people want to get in touch with you and i know they will i i, I can't tell you how much i'm enjoyed hearing your story and, and hearing you on here and how passionate that you are, how do they get in touch with you? And, and, and what can you do for them? Yeah, well, we, uh, we'll, we'll make it really simple. Um, you can find me on any social media at Bogert Brian, or our website is brianbogert.com. You can get anything access to there. Um, I will say low hanging fruit for anybody who's listening. We invested a significant amount of time and energy into building out a challenge that's app-based and gamified which is designed to simply guide people through a path over a course of seven days that takes 10 minutes or less per day. And outcomes have come from people severing relationships with family members to repairing 40 and 50 year things like significant movement through this because I wanted zero barrier of entry for people to get the help that they need if they can't afford a coach or a program. Challenge is $8 and it's literally because I believe in skin in the game. So if you're going to come, I believe that you need to have some skin in the game. And so yes. that's a, just a belief system that I've always had in our world. But I can promise you that it's $8 for eight days and infinite impact and growth. And then it opens up a whole variety of other channels where we can help people either in their organizations or in their personal lives. Um, I'm and so if I'm that's check a, that take, out out your, take out your trash challenge.com is the website for that. Um, and if for whatever reason, there's any website issues there, just shoot me a DM on any of the other platforms and we'll get you the registration link. We run them every month. Wow. I'm going to check that out myself. That's amazing. One last question, because this is something that I, um, I, I, that I think this is the basis for a lot of stuff and a lot of people don't talk about it. Yeah. How big is forgiveness to you? <laughs> Bro, it's everything. Um, 
it's everything because if, and, and I'm going to have to say that the hardest level of forgiveness for most people is with themselves. Yeah. And it's because they've believed and they've existed in such a period of time that they genuinely start to believe that where they're at in their life because of the trash from their past is their fault. Yeah. 99% of the time, it's not your fault. It only becomes your responsibility once you become aware of it, but it's generationally inherited and it's patterned down. I will tell you that the level of shame that I dealt with and the level of anger that I dealt with forgiving myself was the hardest. And if I'm honest, there's still days I struggle with that in moments. Oh, but I do too. The deepest level of connection external only happens when it starts internal. And so I believe forgiveness is there. Now, I believe that every human being on this planet is, has, or will guaranteed create damage in or around their world or the people that are in it. It's a fact. It's a part yeah. of the human experience. And so I never expect perfection, but what I always look for is progress. And here's the thing. If damage is created, if everyone could just stand in ownership, the level of diffusion and forgiveness that would exist by just people being able to own whatever their role in any situation is, objectively and non-judgmentally, it will lead to forgiveness and connection. But that's where it starts. And um, it's, it, it's one of the hardest things for most people to do because most people, when they raise their awareness, they just become more aware of all the ways they should be judging themselves, not for the ways they should be forgiving themselves. The biggest aha moment that I ever had about self-forgiveness was when I was reading uh, The Four Agreements, which I'm sure mm. you're familiar with. You, yeah, great book. With, yeah. with Ruiz. And he said in the book that we are the only of God's creatures that relive our mistakes over and over again. Bingo. Yeah. A dog Bingo. doesn't do that. You know, you know, my wife's dog in there could piss on the floor. And, and after, after he's done that, He's forgotten all yeah. about it. Yeah. Could care less. He just sit there and look at it. You know, he doesn't care. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, hopefully he won't do it again. Will he? Yeah, probably. But he's not, he's not reliving it over and over and over again. And if, if it, it's, it's easier said than done, obviously, but, Wait. but, but to realize that, that you're not meant to relive your mistakes over and over again. And the, and the mistakes are, the mistakes are put there for as, as lessons yeah. as, as I agree what to do or what not to do down the road, but, but don't repeat it over and over again. And that's what so many people present company included mm -hmm. um, are guilty of. And, and yeah, occasionally that creeps in with me every now and then. And I, I have to stop and realize, you know, number one, this isn't happening now. And this is just something I'm reliving over and over yeah. again, and it's not serving me. So it's the I, truth, though. You said that I, so beautifully because that's the thing is typically when we react, it has nothing to do with what's right in front of us. Yeah. Right. It's like it's like your spouse implying that you loaded the dishwasher incorrectly and you maybe get angry or defensive, but it has nothing to do with the dishwasher or your spouse. It has everything to do with how your grandpa looked at you when you were four. Mm -hmm. Right. And how that ingrains this like reaction internally. So that's what we're trying to get people to do is to not flip their lid and react by blowing up and creating damage. But we teach this concept of flipping your lid to be able to look inside and see what's risen to the top objectively and non-judgmentally. How do you scan your can regularly so that you can take ownership to exist in those moments? Because almost always it's those moments when if you can pause and ask yourself, am I, is what I'm reacting to in this moment due to what's right in front of me or the trash from my past? 
90% or greater the trash from your past, then you can start to let it go because it doesn't serve you. You said that beautifully, brother. No, thank you. Thank you. Because it, 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 it almost never does. And it, it never serves you other than to, to serve you being more miserable or have more woe or mo more self-pity and whatnot. And uh, that leads to people doing a lot of things, drugs, mm -hmm. alcohol, and whatnot, trying to kill a pain that, that really shouldn't be a pain at all. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I, uh, I, I appreciate your ability to communicate that back and see it so clearly. I appreciate that you're leading such a large organization that you can influence the lives and impact of so many with your leadership, brother. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure to have a conversation with you so far. Today. Hey, it's been a pleasure having you on. I, I, your, your story is so inspiring. I, I can't wait to get this out for people to hear it because, because uh, it's, it's, it's a unique story. And, you always re and you always realize too, no matter what happens to you, because I've had a lot of I've I've, I've battled cancer, uh, I've battled a lot of things. But you know, when I went to MD Anderson Cancer uh, Clinic in in Houston to to see the doctor, and I was feeling sorry for myself for myself, and I looked around the waiting room. Yeah, there was a shit ton of people in there, a lot worse off than me. Perspective and, always points and, us and I'm important. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself what am I crying about? Yeah. What am I crying about? So Brian, brother, I can't can I, think. Can I, do, mind, do you mind if I expand on what you just said one little bit? Cause I want to yeah, shift it a little bit and I want to honor yeah, what you please. said, cause it's, it's all real. But what I also want to say, cause this is something that I run into a lot. And so I just want to make sure that, that you hear this and everybody else does as well. I say perspective points is what's important, but oftentimes people hear my story and they're like, Oh, well, my trauma is less important. It was less significant, right? People can go into a situation like, and even minimize, right? Like when I was in that hospital bed, yeah, it's easy for me to be like, oh, that kid has a terminal illness and to separate from the fact that I'm the blessed one. That can all be true and you mm -hmm. can exist in that space and still feel the emotions that are connected to whatever you're experiencing. Yeah. And I want people to know that it's not about shutting it off and it's not about like, oh, I need to use other people's perspective to check my own. No, that's true to a degree. But honor your truth and honor your feelings. Use the perspective to allow yourself to see what's important for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. I had, well, nothing similar. When I was six years old, I was playing being stupid and I cut this off. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember going through school, people going, oh, that's terrible. Blah, 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 blah. But nothing compared to what you went through. Which is true in this case from a physical part, but there's also still truth to the fact that getting your finger cut off wasn't like largely it's not affected your life, but yeah. in that moment it hurt. It definitely yeah. caused a little bit of like what's happening and it drew attention that could have conditioned armor for you. Fortunately, you never chose to get defensive about it. And so that's the only piece that I was trying to spin is that I want people oh, again, yeah. to have that permission to feel what they're experiencing while realizing that perspective can help you move through whatever you're experiencing, because you're right. Somebody always has it worse. And we can learn from those that have paid the dummy tax before we have, or have had those hard experiences before we have. Yeah. I've had a few people, you'll get a laugh out of this. I've had people in my life ask me, well, do you have any special skills? I said, well, I can do that. <laughs> Well, what I love more than anything, I love when everybody's like, you'll, oh yeah, how are you doing it? Man, I feel like I've been hit by a truck. I'll be like, well, yeah. 
I've been there and, and that's rough. So if that's really where you're at, I, like maybe we should just reschedule this meeting. Like to me, I'm like, it's just, you know, it's, it's like wherever we can have fun with ourselves, take ourselves less seriously, man, that's what life is all about. It's about connecting and having fun. That's absolutely brother. I can't thank you for having uh, enough for having, for you being on and taking the time. Uh, again, I appreciate your story. Love, love your attitude and, and, and love your whole insight on everything. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to jump on this and take your challenge. And I, I want to check this out. This cool. is, I'll send it yeah. to our next one. It starts, uh, I think March 8th, I'll get the dates and send it to you, but we do them every month. And so that, that you won't miss it. We'll send that over. And I think you're jumping on my show too. We're going to have some fun there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can't wait. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. Well, folks give Brian a, a follow, uh, on Instagram. He's on all, uh, LinkedIn. You're on everything. Go to his website, brianbogert.com. Check him out. And uh, Brian, brother, I can't wait to see you again. And uh, and once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being on. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, brother, for building a platform to let me pour some good into the world. And yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much.